Shalom. I'm Rabbi Debbie Young Summers, and thank you for listening to the Progressively Jewish Podcast, an opportunity to explore and connect to Judaism through a progressive lens. This week, for Parshat Ha'azinu, we're going to be exploring the theme of truth with the Reverend Canon Tim Bull from St Albans. So this week, as we explore the theme of truth, I am delighted to be joined by uh, a colleague and friend, um, Father Tim Bull, who is priest and canon of St Albans Cathedral and who works for the Diocese of St Albans and who has uh, really, uh, I've come to know, through exploring ideas of truth. Tim, why are you so interested in truth? Yes, really, because it's uh, an issue that underlies so much of what's happening in our society at the moment, uh, from things like um, the anti-vaxxers who are opposed to uh, the COVID vaccinations, through to things like, well, one of the times when this became most popular, obvious in kind of the public eye was after the Brexit vote and the Donald Trump election to US president, that these things are starting to affect life uh, across the whole spectrum of society and affecting us personally as well. I mean, in terms of how it's affected me personally, for example, I remember probably about a year ago now when the pandemic was a fairly new thing, uh, seeing on social media, someone had posted that suicide rates had doubled since the beginning of COVID. And please retweet this because it was really important. And I thought, yeah, that is an important thing for people to know about. So I duly retweeted it, um, only to find out later that it wasn't true at all and realized that this wasn't just affecting uh, politics and society, but it was affecting me personally as well. So uh, I think it's an issue that affects the whole of life. So Tim, you have worked really hard to bring together um, over a number of years, people from both a faith background and a media background with an interest in um, truth in the media. What sparked your interest particularly in that area of truth? That really was because um, a couple of colleagues of mine uh, roped me in. Uh, one of them, uh, Peter Crumpler, was previously head of communications for the Church of England nationally, and the other, um, John Forrest, used to produce the BBC Songs of Praise uh, programme. And both of them, from their lives in the media, were aware that this was a big issue. And likewise, from my own faith perspective, I could see this affecting people's uh, lives. And so the three of us were uh, a kind of a providential coming together. And we work now probably for about three or four years uh, together on this project. So you mentioned Twitter and you know, the idea of, of social media as a forum in which so much information is shared now. Um, I don't know if you read uh, David Baddiel's recent book, Jews Don't Count, but a huge amount of what he wrote about in terms of anti-Semitism was really drawn from platforms like Twitter. They are now sources of information for people to the extent that they could be the basis of, a, of almost the entire book. Um, what role do you feel that's playing in the arena of truth? And has that changed how we relate to truth over the last uh, decades? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's changed um, hugely. And I think for a number of reasons. I mean, uh, first of all, uh, there is the issue of, um, as it were, trust 
in that I'm much more likely um, to believe people that I know and that I trust. Um, if, it's, if it's my wife telling me something, I'll believe it much more readily than if it's a stranger I meet in the street. And the thing about social media is it gives us a false sense of knowing people and trusting them. We think that because we're, we follow them on social media, maybe they follow us, maybe they're someone in the public eye, uh, that they're somebody that we can trust. So when they post something, uh, we tend to believe it. It's a little bit the same with, um, I don't know, well-known television on personalities, with the newspapers we read. We tend to trust the ones that we feel we know and the ones that we don't know we don't trust. There's this false full sense of kind of uh, knowing people. I think the second reason that social media uh, has this effect is because it's very easy to say things without uh, consequences. Um, if I were to um, insult somebody in the shop uh, because they've given me the wrong change, of course, we don't use money nowadays, all plastic, but if we give them the wrong change in the shop, um, I probably wouldn't feel so uh, keen to insult them because of the consequences. But in in the kind of social media world, we live in a kind of consequence-free world. I think there's a third reason as well, uh, and that is that social media is really easy uh, to spread. Uh, it only takes kind of a couple of clicks and suddenly something can be out uh, to hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of people um, or more. And then there's kind of the technology itself, which isn't on social media um, as such, but things like um, uh, deep fakes, where you can create uh, videos of um, famous people saying things which, of course, they wouldn't dream of saying uh, in, in normal life. And a whole lot of kind of uh, manipulation of digital images and so on makes it much more easy uh, to create things uh, which are untrue. I think probably as well, if I was allowed to fifth point, uh, there's a kind of a commercialization uh, as well. Uh, a lot of how the uh, business model works is um, companies create so-called clickbait. Uh, you might well have been reading a news article about something and suddenly as you scroll through, you get to the bottom and it says, um, uh, thousands of St Albans people are saving money by doing this. You wonder what, what on earth are they doing that's, that's saving money? And so you, you click on that and that will be uh, monetarized so that people make money out of that. And so we're, we're led down rabbit holes of all kinds of misleading and false information. I suppose it's that uh, that phrase of if if you're not paying for the service, then uh, you you are the the product. You are being oh. harvested and sold, and uh, those challenges. So, other than social media, what else would you say in the realm of truth has changed in the last decades? Yeah, I think there's a whole range of uh, things. I mean, to start with, and to take the the, the really big picture, um, I think we're living in a kind of a philosophically uh, different world. Uh, if we do a little bit of history just for a second, if you'd looked at a, a world map in around about the 1300s, it would have been uh, Europe, a bit of Asia, a bit of North Africa, maybe a bit more of Africa. But of course, if you looked at a world map in 1600, you certainly have the New World as well. When Christopher Columbus um, sailed to the New World, what it did was it revealed to people that 
um, all the knowledge in the world wasn't contained in ancient texts, but there were new things to discover and to find out. So that resulted in a kind of this new enterprise of science of people seeking for truth and looking to discover uh, new stuff, new, new information, new facts. And we lived with this uh, scientific worldview uh, for uh, many centuries very successfully. But then in the late 20th century, um, the philosophical phenomenon of postmodernism uh, came uh, to the fore. And it started to become clear that some claims of truth uh, were actually claims of power. So a good example of this would be uh, kind of um, race and genetics in South Africa supporting apartheid. This so-called scientific stuff was actually not uh, true. It was claimed to be true, but with expressions of power. And so the move into postmodernism uh, meant that truth became a, a kind of a, a, a less valued um, view on life. And we started to have sort of my truth, uh, your truth, and different uh, perspectives and different ideas of what truth is. And it was into this kind of philosophical, this philosophical world was really on um, fertile soil for all the stuff around on um, social media and so on, uh, which I was talking about a moment ago. I said, there's se um, secondly, there's also the uh, social aspect in that um, we are people that really like entertainment. Uh, we like stuff which is um, appealing uh, and grabs us and um, either makes us feel um, good about ourselves or makes us feel a real sense of outrage uh, at something that's going wrong in the world. And this um, is far more likely to grab our attention than drive facts and information. So the whole world of uh, media and news and so on tends to be more geared around on entertainment now than, than, than pure facts. And then finally, um, the final reason why I think this whole kind of disinformation, fake news on suspicion of truth is a, is a big thing is really something which has been around for the whole of human history. And that's the way that our, our brains work. I mean, we are, we are wired uh, in such a way that we are easily um, fooled and deluded by things that are false. So if I can give just, a, again, a couple of il illustrations. I mean, first of all, um, human beings are programmed to uh, trust. Uh, that's our kind of default position to accept uh, things as true. So when we get onto the aeroplane, uh, we see the airline pilot and we assume that the airline pilot is qualified to fly the plane. We don't go up to him or her and say, excuse me, can you just show me your qualifications for flying this plane? Or when we buy... Um, uh, drugs for our, our headaches and stomachache at the, uh, at the pharmacy, uh, we assume that the little white tablets we're getting in the packet are, are, are going to work. We have this kind of default uh, to truth. So we don't think uh, to question things. And that unquestioningness makes us very susceptible to things which are uh, false and untrue. That's such um, an interesting way of thinking about human nature, because actually in the Jewish tradition, questioning and disagreeing and challenging is a massive part of our tradition and how we are in the world and when you were talking about the sort of emergence of science really and, and truth seeking uh, in the age of, of Columbus um, it struck me that of course there was huge resistance from faith communities to that truth seeking and, and persecution in some cases um, and I suspect today some of our listeners, but also people around the world might say, well, 
you two are a people of faith. You are clearly deluded and, you know, believing in things that are unprovable. And um, how, how does being a person of faith connect to this quest for truth and, and what is knowable? Absolutely. I mean, the whole question of um, uh, truth and faith is a really interesting one from uh, me in li living in St Albans with the history of um, um, Alban, the first Christian, uh, English Christian saint and martyr. Uh, you may not be familiar with the story, but I'll just rehearse it briefly. Um, Alban was a, a pagan uh, living in Roman times and a Christian priest who was escaping persecution uh, came to stay with him. And Alban was so taken by the priest's faith that he himself became a Christian. So when the authorities came to arrest the priest, um, Alban said, oh, what we can do is we can we exchange robes. So I will put on your distinctive priestly robe and you can put on my, my regular robe and you can escape. Um, so the authorities then came, the well, priest escaped, and the authorities came and arrested uh, Alban, um, who spoke out for the Christian faith and was martyred. At the heart of that story um, is um, falsehood, untruth and deception. Uh, and yet that is seen as a positive um, role model for people of faith, which I think is, a, is fascinating. So this sense of um, faith and truth necessarily always going to work together in a nice, easy formula, I don't think is, uh, is quite as straightforward as we'd like to, uh, to make it. So, um, always, I think, with, with, with faith, as with all topics, there are, are things which are kind of uh, approximately true, uh, but never absolutely true. So in our Christian tradition, for example, we tell the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. It wasn't exactly 5,000 people. It might have been 4,991 or 5,017. But we, we accept that the things which are kind of a, approximately uh, and not definitely true. And much the same applies to God as well. Uh, we can never adequately um, and fully uh, describe God. God is beyond human language. Um, Ludwig Wittgenstein, the philosopher, said that if language is unable to capture the distinctive aroma of coffee, how can it sum up something as um, subtle as God? Uh, and so it's our heart of our Christian faith. We are, we are constantly seeking for truth, but always on the understanding that truth ultimately uh, will lie beyond the horizon and beyond our reach. And obviously you and I have a different concept of what might be true in faith terms. Um, my own approach, which I know we've shared in the past, uh, relies heavily on the idea that actually, as you just said, we, we can't really know that ultimate truth. And therefore there is learning that I can do from everyone because we all might have a little glimpse of that truth. Um, as we read in Exodus 33, even Moses can't see all that is God. Um, so I certainly don't have a chance to. Um, but there are also elements in, in most faith communities where our truth is somehow better than your truth. And you know, obviously, as those of us who work in interfaith circles, those aren't the parts of our faith that we would emphasize or turn to for, for truth. Um, but they're there. And I suppose that speaks to what you were saying earlier about our, our human nature, that there is a desire to know that we have that truth, even when perhaps we don't. Um, but are there parallels between that faith instinct and what we see 
in how we relate to what is true and what is untrue. And if, so in my nuance of truth in my own faith, how can I then reject, you know, multiple opinions presented in the media? Yeah, so I think the, the idea of different faiths, um, I would go back to science again. So um, for many years, uh, we thought that Newton's laws of motion described how the kind of universe worked on a, on a big scale. And until Einstein came along and published his special relativity and then general relativity, uh, and we saw that um, Newton's understanding of the universe was just kind of an approximation uh, of what's true. And I see that a little bit like on faith is that we're seeking a better understanding of the world, the, the, the relativity view rather than the Newtonian view. Uh, now, of course, um, for those that know about science, we'll, we'll know that also there's a thing called quantum mechanics, which again is a fantastic piece of science, um, but quantum mechanics and, and relativity um, don't work together. There are all sorts of problems if you try and uh, put them together, and they're both uh, probably some manifestation of some deeper and underlying truth. So I would see um, faith as a little bit like moving from uh, Newton to Einstein, we're, we're getting a little bit closer um, to what is true, but then other faiths I see as perhaps being a little bit like the quantum mechanics, which have also um, have truths within them, which are incompatible with my truths, but both might be uh, expressions of something deeper and more profound, which we've yet to understand. I think it was in the 1980s or 90s, there was an amazing advert produced by The Guardian, which showed uh, the same scene from three or four different angles. And when you first see the scene, it looks like um, a skinhead is mugging a woman. And by the end of the scene, having seen it from different perspectives, you understand that actually a young healthy man is actually pushing an elderly woman out of the way of a, a, a falling scaffolding with bricks on that would have killed her um, rather than mugging her <clears throat> and that sense of when we see things from multiple perspectives we see a different picture which in my faith I find really reaffirming but that can be quite a challenge when it comes to things like uh, you know you were talking about the anti-vax movement and you know how do we balance these ideas of seeing things from multiple angles, seeing the bigger picture, um, allowing for different opinions, but also trying to find a truth together? Uh, sure, yes. Um, I, think the, I think the answer is probably to be uh, those who are genuinely uh, seeking truth, looking for evidence, uh, trying to find the uh, the facts and the arguments behind the, the position. And I think the, the issue, of, um, the, the difference between those of people of faith um, who come up with different views and opinions compared to the anti-vaxxers is that on the whole, um, people of faith are truth seekers. And those of us of truth, true faith um, are those who recognize that in a sense, God is truth and those who are seeking truth are seeking God. And we need to, to be on, on that path, that journey. Those, for example, the anti-vaxxers that you uh, give an example of, probably um, would not be genuinely seeking after truth. They would have their 
on their view, their perspective. And my guess, although I don't know many personally, uh, my guess is that they would not be interested in looking at further evidence, um, at uh, arguments which might uh, contradict what they think is, is the case. So it's a, it's a question not of whether you are holding a true view or not, the question is whether you are a truth seeker um, or whether you're living with a closed mind. Mm. And I, I mean, I think these questions become really challenging when we apply them to real life situations, because I know personally anti-vaxxers who really do feel that they are seeking truth and that they don't want to be misled by a, you know, a vaccine that hasn't been tested or all those sorts of things, you know, things that do make, make sense. And yet uh, just this week, we've heard from President Joe Biden that patience is wearing thin with those who are not vaccinated because they are putting others at risk. And you know, the, these uh, theoretical questions have a huge impact on, on how we live and, and society. So what do you think can be done about the challenge of, of misinformation and untruths. And you know, we've, we've survived the Trump era where alternative truth was so prevalent, um, but are we really beyond it, even just because Trump's gone? Uh, no, and I think we, there are things we can do. Uh, I think that the first thing that we can do is uh, we can understand how um, our brains work and how we can become a cognitively um, fooled. I'm sorry I haven't had time to talk about this at greater length, but I mentioned about trusting the airline pilot or the little white tablets you uh, you get in the supermarket. I think to start to be uh, a little bit more sceptical, um, not without being cynical or paranoid, but just being prepared uh, to question our own uh, perspectives and views. I think Secondly, and related to that, there's a, a whole field of philosophy called virtue epistemology. Epistemology is a study of how we know things, and there are various theories about how we know things. And one of them is that, that we know things when we approach the task of knowing in a kind of virtuous and good way. Uh, so, for example, um, listening to different voices and multiple views, rather than just um, the people we necessarily uh, agree with. Um, maybe looking for good sources of information. So perhaps on paying for our newspapers rather than just simply relying on what we read on uh, social media. Uh, um, weighing up on um, evidence and, and learning to, to judge between competing arguments. So the whole lot of stuff about um, what we can do and how we can change the way that we think. And if you wanted people to take on one challenge for the coming year to improve their own um, sort of ability to see multiple truths, but also to, to distill uh, greater truth, what would it be? I think whenever you come across uh, something, um, particularly things which kind of maybe seem sensationalist or you're not quite sure about, um, like, like the, the, the chap who, who, who was saying on social media about the number of suicides uh, doubling, I think the question to ask ourselves is, um, why is somebody saying this? Is there an ulterior motive behind it? Um, are they saying it because it's entertaining? Are they saying it for kind of uh, commercial purposes? Um, are they saying it out of fear? Um, wh why is somebody saying this? Um, and if we start to ask ourselves that when we uh, we come across these things, particularly on social media, I think that would be a great help. And do you think that social media 
can have a positive impact on any of this? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think in some ways, uh, social media, or not so much social media, but the internet and technology um, is a great promoter of uh, truth. So, for example, um, suppose uh, somebody said to me, do you know what, my, uh, my Uncle Bill, he's the world's strongest man. Now, what I can do is I can go to the internet and I can now check out with Google and other search engines, who is the world's strongest man at the moment? And I know that it's not his um, Uncle Bill. We can check out information about the, the safety of drugs and so on. Uh, a really interesting example of this is the work of uh, those who go undercover, uh, maybe the intelligence services, maybe the police. It's really hard to go undercover now because people can check out your cover story uh, by Googling you on the inter internet. So in a sense, on some areas of um, falsehood and lying, uh, the world of technology makes that more difficult. So I, should, I think we shouldn't see social media, the internet technology as just uh, kind of the enemy of truth. In some ways, it's a, a um, a way in which truth can become clearer. I think that is a, a hopeful note to uh, end on. Um, Reverend Canon Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it has been a privilege to learn with you. And uh, as a Jewish community, we're entering the new year at the moment, and we hope that it's a year of truth seeking and finding. Um, and we wish you well in all that you do. Thank you to you. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Huge thanks to the Reverend Canon Timball. Uh, if you would like to hear more about Tim and his thoughts with others on truth and the media in a post-truth world, you can find his thoughts and podcasts at tim.inyourfaith.co.uk. That's faith, not face. Thank you also to Liberal Judaism, Reform Judaism and Leo Beck College for supporting Progressively Jewish. We hope that you'll recommend us to your friends and fellow congregants, those who are Jewish and people of all faiths and none. Don't forget to share this episode of Progressively Jewish with your friends and colleagues and to leave us a review with your podcast provider. To share your ideas on the future of this podcast, either comment on the Progressively Jewish Facebook page or email us at progressivelyjewish at gmail.com. Next week's episode, however, will be hosted by some of the Progressively Jewish producers together, looking back at these episodes of the series just finishing and looking forward to what series three has in store. So we look forward to seeing you then.